Good morning, Steamtown Church. I'd like to welcome uh, you here this morning. Also, for those that are watching online, I want to welcome you also. If you have a copy of the Bible, please turn with me to the book of Acts. We are going to be in Acts chapter 17, and I invite you to stand as we read God's word. Starting in verse 22. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed by and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God in the hope that they might feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. Thank you. You may be seated. I think I read that in the English Standard Version, and I think it was the New International Version up there, so, so I kind of apologize for that. Um, before we get into this text, uh, I, I just, um, just want to let, you know, this is a transparent moment, let everyone know that it, it was, you know, pastors have rough weeks too, right? And um, as I was trying to prepare my heart for worship this morning, I uh, was just thinking about how great our God is, and sometimes out of weakness, he can be made that much more strong. So I just want to pray this morning. Would you join me in a word of prayer and just ask God to, to strengthen his word this morning? Lord, uh, we just come before you, and we thank you for your inspired text. God, I pray, Lord... Um, that you would help me to uh, just be a mouthpiece of your word and to do it in strength this morning. I know, Lord, there's a lot of people here that are also struggling, struggling with loved ones that aren't doing well or battling something in their life. And uh, God, I pray this morning that you will just um, strengthen us by our faith in what you are doing in this world through, through your son, Jesus Christ, our Lord our Savior, our everything. God, I pray that you would just uh, help us to focus on you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. A, a few years back, I was um, having a conversation with a, with a really good friend. And, and this guy is like, you know, the incredible hawk. He, he is just a, a strong guy. And he, he, was, he, he was in recovery. And the recovery program he was in was started by a Christian. It's, it's, it's a great recovery program. And, and, and so the last thing I want to do is diss any recovery program. Like if there's a repro recovery program that is helping you um, 
in an area that you're addicted in, don't, don't feel that this is a diss. I, I, but, but the reason I'm sharing it is my friend said specifically to me that he was struggling to find his higher power. He was struggling. And, and when you know Christ, like this resonates with you. This struggle, right? Struggling to find uh, that higher, higher power. And the reason he was struggling is because of um, uh, the program operates in such a way that it has a wide reach. So no matter what you believe, we love you and we're going to help you in recovery. And so one of the examples he gave is, is, is in this wide reach is that he was struggling because he was taught that anything can be your higher power. He was taught that anything could be, and he said, for example, like the, the, some of you have heard this um, as the classic, you could pick anything. And the example that was given uh, was a chair. Um, or uh, this morning, actually, in the starting point class, I wonder if that individual stole my notes because he mentioned the same thing, but he mentioned the doorknobs. Now, now listen, thankfully, most people don't pick chairs to be their, their higher power, but it was an example um, and what that example caused me to, to struggle with and to think about and to wrestle with in light of our passage this morning in Acts 17, am I okay with people worshiping whatever they want? Like, am, am I good with that? Am I okay with people believing whatever they want to believe on? Is that, is that how we determine what is true in this world? Like, is that how truth works? Do, do we determine truth? Is truth that uh, uh, individual and that subjective? Even more, I started thinking about, am, am I content with a chair being a higher power? And once again, that was the example given. I'm just going with it. Am I okay with a chair being a higher power for someone if it's a chair? Right? Like, how could a higher power be something that you sit on, right? Like, it's, it's, it's a chair. And this morning, we're going to look at, at, at this amazing passage of Scripture where, where the uh, Apostle Paul, in such a wise and loving and super respectful manner, challenges this entire city called Athens in Greece. And every generation that has read this passage since, this incredible passage in God's word, challenges all of us in the fundamental nature of truth. Like, how do we understand what is true and what is not? So check it out. Let's, let's dive right in. Look at, with me at Acts chapter 17, starting in verse 16. Verse 16 says that Paul was, was hanging out, right? He was like waiting at the mall for his wife to get done shopping. It says, while Paul was waiting, not for his wife, he was waiting for, if you look up above, for Timothy and, and Silas. So it says, Paul was waiting for them. Now, know his GPS location. Where is he? He's in, he's in Greece. He's in Athens. Verse 16 says that while he was waiting for them in Athens... Look at this emotion. He says he was greatly distressed. I was like, wow, God. That's exactly how I felt this week. We're on to something here. Greatly distressed. Now look at what he was distressed about. 
he, he saw that the city was full of idols. Now, you got to remember, Athens is, is, is it's, it's a big city. It's the largest city. It's the capital of Greece. Throw, throw up that, that map so you get an idea of, of where Athens, Athens is, is located. I, I had to cheat this week. I forgot where it was located, where Greece was at. So then I, I, I did the map more for, for me. Now, Athens is by far one of the oldest cities that Paul visited in, in the book of Acts. And if you know anything about um, Greek culture, like this was the junk. It was so influential. It, Greece influenced the entire Roman world in culture, in theater, in music, in medicine, in philosophy. I mean, for those of you that are you know, into this stuff, I mean, out of uh, Athens, Greece, you have the philosopher Socrates around 400 BC. And just think of the influence that he had. In fact, Socrates was martyred for his belief by this same group of people that Paul is about to stand before. You have uh, Plato and you have Aristotle around 300 BC. So Athens is truly this, this cradle, this hotbed of Western civilization and culture and philosophy. And if you look at um, history... There's like this 50-year, it's called the Golden uh, Age of Athens. It, it spans over 50 years from 479 B.C. to 431 B.C. And during this 50-year span, the Greeks um, built and displayed in Athens thousands upon thousands of these idols that were images of their Greek gods. Thousands upon thousands of their gods and their goddesses. I mean, they were everywhere. I was overwhelmed when I visited Rome for the first time. I, I have never been to Greece. Has anyone here been to Greece? Anyone online been to Greece? Raise your hand. I just made someone online maybe raise their hand. I mean, I'm told when you go into, it's unbelievable. They're everywhere, these gods and these goddesses, these idols and these, these images. Acts 17 says, by the time Paul got there, 400 years after the golden age of Athens, they're still there. It says the city, look at it, was full of idols. They were in temples, they were in gardens, they were in streets, they were probably in potholes. I mean, they were immediately visible to everyone who entered into the city. The theater... Uh, of Ephesus alone had 29 gold, gold, money, gold statues of Artemis, the daughter of Zeus, the goddess of the hunt. 120 statues of Nike, the goddess of victory, and Eros, the god of love. So, so the year is now A.D. 50. Athens is 500 years past its prime. Look at what the Apostle Paul who, who later said, as, follow me as I follow Christ. Look at how he felt when he encountered these idols. It says that he saw them everywhere, these Greek idols, and he was greatly distressed. And the main reason he was greatly distressed were because these people were religious, but they were lost. They were religious, 
but they were lost. And tell me the Apostle Paul, if you know his background, he can't relate to being religious but completely lost. Ever feel that way? Now, I, I was thinking of, of, of idols this week. And when you think of an idol, what, what, do, you, what do you think of? See, because like when I think of an idol, here's what I think of. I think of like people who make these statues, like these wooden and stone golden statues. And I think that this is something that like primitive people do overseas. Really like Americans don't do it much. Like we don't. Most Americans, you don't walk into their crib and, like, see all these, these statues and gods and goddesses all over. So when I was thinking of idols this week, I was having a little bit hard time understanding these far-off people in far-off lands that worship these things. Like we read in the Bible, like in Athens, like in Egypt, like in Israel. A few years back, I, I became friends with this wonderful Hindu family. Wonderful people from India. And we got close enough that one day, it's like a big deal, like for them. One day they, they asked me if they can show me their idols. And there were tons of, tons of them. Idol after idol after idol and, and shelf after shelf after shelf. And they were excited to show this to me. And, and they were like, and this is the God of prosperity. See, this is why we're so good at business, right? That's what, that's what he said to me. And, and this is the God of protecting you against ghosts. And this is the God who created the universe. And, and if I'm honest, like the Apostle Paul, just like in verse 16, I, I started to become overwhelmed. Completely relate to that feeling of being greatly distress and here's and here's what i was thinking i was thinking like how could anyone believe that these lifeless statues could do anything for you let alone be god i remember thinking like why are these these friends of mine why are these people worshiping these crazy things a few years later, I was doing a personal study on idols. And it's like one of those moments where God gets you. Where the word of God becomes a sword to my heart. A mirror that reflects the condition of my judgmental heart. Here I was being like, what's wrong with these people? How can they worship these things? Like it's wood, it's gold, it's this. Everyone knows that a man made it. So not, why not worship the man that made it. And logically, you can get all the way back to worshiping the God who made the man. And it's one of those moments where God just nailed me. And here's what I was reading, Psalm 106 and verse 36. And listen, it was talk, wasn't talking about the people of Athens who were religious but lost. Psalm 106 and verse 36 is speaking to God's people. God's people who are in covenant with him. And it says they worship their idols, which became a snare to them. And God in that moment, it was like as if God said to me, Dennis, listen, don't act like you don't have idols in your life. Don't act like 
You don't look for distraction in lesser things every day, all the time. You're just too lazy to make a statue. That's your problem. Don't act like, right? Dennis. I'm like, damn, they crazy, they crazy. Greece, Egypt, Athens, India, boom, boom, boom. And then, like, God turned it. You're just too lazy to make a statue, Dennis. See, every single one of us, whether it's keep, keeping us from our salvation in Christ or whether it's affecting our fellowship as believers with Christ, all of us worship idols. Now, now you know, maybe we don't bow down to it. Maybe we don't, um, you, know, you know, do some of the things that uh, someone, those in Eastern culture do, um, but we certainly struggle with putting our desires before God. And here's what an idol is. An idol is anything that gets between us and God. Other than the gospel of Christ. Other than the good news of Jesus. An idol is anything that gets between us and God. Whether that's union with Christ's salvation, whether that's fellowship with God on a daily basis. Anything created. An idol is whatever we worship more than God or instead of God. An idol can be a physical object, a property, a person, an activity, a role, an institution, a hope, a desire, an image, an idea, a pleasure, a hero. Anything that can substitute for God. An idol can be anything. Of course, there's the obvious idols, the sinful idols, the bad stuff in the Bible, bad things, sinful things. But idols can also be good things. And here's what it, when you know something is becoming an idol in your life. Is when those things in your life that are created and earthly, when those things take the position of becoming ultimate things in your life in such a way that they control you. They control your emotions. They control your thinking. Based on our idols, it affects our thinking and our emotions and our will. I mean, let's just think of some of our idols, my idols, the things that we bow down to, the things that we run to, the things that we depend on for comfort, relief, distraction, protection, and happiness. Think of the things that steal our heart's affection from the gospel of Christ and the good news. Things that control our lives more than God, but never actually fill the void in our hearts. Think of things like material possessions. I think of drug addiction, alcoholism, boyfriends, girlfriends, family, friends, husbands, wives cookie dough ice cream I think of one night stands pornography hours of meaningless binge watching body image sports I asked uh, I, I said I said uh, Mark what do you uh, put before God he's like toys I think of a bottle of vodka a martini just trying to get distracted right Trying to find our happiness and fulfillment. See, see, God, this is the great thing I got about God is that he's always working on this recycling team in our lives. And here it is. God wants no other gods before him. It's a constant recycling team 
in, in, in our lives. An author once said, the evil in our desire typically does not lie in what we want, but that we want it too much. The evil, the idol in our desire uh, typically does not lie in what we want, but that we want it too much. See, in America, we're not too different from the Greeks or the Egyptians or the Israelites. And for Paul, here is the believer's reaction to, to the idols in our lives. For Paul, look at it once, once more. He was greatly distressed seeing a city full of idols, especially knowing the history of his people and how God dealt with the people's idolatry in the past. Idols were everywhere. Now look at verse 17. Is, is Paul going to now be like, like some crazy Christian? Is he about to pull out the hammer and start smashing down all these idols? Is he going to get flustered? Is he going to get all defensive? Is he going to get all judgmental on them? Like these people on the left. And these people on the right, what's, what's the Apostle Paul going to do here? I just want to show you the word, right? What's Paul going to do here? Is he going to get all angry? Is he going to point the finger? Look at what happens. Look in verse 18. Or sorry, verse 17. The text says, so he reasoned. Isn't that awesome? He reasoned. In the synagogues, with both Jews, now the Jews went here after the Babylonian captivity, so I'm told they were, they were in Athens from about 400 B.C. So they had been there for 400 years in Athens, Greece, the Jewish people. So he's reasoning with the Jews. Look at who else he's reasoning with. God-fearing Greeks. And look who else he's reasoning with, seeking to convince. As well as in the marketplace... Day by day, check it out, with those that happen to be there. So he's reasoning with his people, the Jewish people. He's reasoning with his not the people, God-fearing Greeks. And he's reasoning with everyone that hangs out in downtown. The people that just happen to be there. Do, do you know what is not said here? You cannot read the writings of the Apostle Paul and based off of last week, what Pastor Jason spoke to, the Apostle Paul's life was completely saturated with prayer. Completely. Like, I just want to encourage you. Like, if you're looking for opportunities to reason and interact with people and be used by God in great and mighty, mighty ways, just start praying. God, who do you have for me? God, who do you have for me? I was talking to my buddy this week. He's like, Dennis, you're an answer to my grandfather's prayer. I'm like, what are you, what are you, what are you talking about? He's like, man, he's like, you know I was raised in so-and-so in, in religion. But I had this grandfather who would like try to explain to me how you're not saved by your works, but you're saved by faith in Christ. And I forgot that message for like 30-some years. And now here you are. Like, I can't believe it. 
telling me the same thing that my grandfather told me that I forgot about. And I told him, I guarantee you, your grandfather was praying for you. I guarantee you he was praying for your salvation. Listen, house church leaders, lead the people in prayer. You think the Apostle Paul just went into the city not, not thinking about his faith, like why he believes what he believes? How can you reason if you haven't thought through why you believe it? Paul was greatly distressed. And, and, and what's the scripture says? So he began to reason. Look at what happens next. Look at verse 18. Verse 18 says a group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate over some Greek achinos, right? You know, like they were debating over coffee, right? They began to, it's, it's really stronger language here. They, they began to push back, reason back. Can I say that they began to challenge Paul, call him out. Look at, look at verse 18. Some of them, uh, namely the Epicureans, asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Which really gave me insight in how people view me. <laughs> or Christians, right? Like, like, what is this babbler trying to say? Others, the, the Stoics remark, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. Which, listen... Don't, this was a serious offense in Athens to introduce foreign gods. They said this, look at verse 18, because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. See, in, in, in Athens, Paul was labeled a babbler. What's this, what's this, this nonsensical guy trying to say? He was also, notice, he was also labeled way too tolerant. He seems to be advocating for foreign gods. Gods that in Athens we don't even put up with. And we don't even tolerate. So, so Paul was labeled here as, as a babbler. And, and he was snubbed. He was insulted. He was softly persecuted, okay? He was ridiculed because he preached a strange God. A God that, he, that, that most of the people in Athens did not believe in. Namely, even more, they said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Now, you need to understand the reason the, the Ep, um, Epicureans and the Stoics laughed and ridiculed and scorned Paul. This was hilarious. A resurrection was hilarious, especially to the Epicureans. The reason it was hilarious to them is their greatest desire was to escape the body one day because the body is inherently evil. So you're telling us about Jesus who escaped the body... But then he resurrected and came back into the body. Like, why would you do that if the body is inherently evil? To which Paul would respond, your theology's off. The body's not inherently evil. But in their thinking, it didn't make sense. 
If the physical body is inherently evil, how could God in the person of Jesus Christ have become a man? They were so intrigued by this and so flustered and so offended. They took Paul, the Apostle Paul, who was just hanging, waiting for his buddies. Do you understand, like, all this is happening when he's at, like, waiting, like, at Target for the buddies to get out of the store. Somehow the Apostle Paul is now about to stand before the same court that killed Socrates. Most of us would be like, in Athens, you know, we want to, like, chill, right? Have a good time. The Apostle Paul. So the Apostle Paul is put on trial. He's under investigation. Look at verse 19. The Epicurean and Stoic philosophers, they took him, Paul, and brought him to a meeting at the Areopagus, where they said to him, verse 19, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. Verse 20 says, you are bringing some strange ideas, some strange teachings to our ear, and we would like to know what they mean. Do you see that? We would like to know what they mean. And look at the footnote found in verse 21. It's like this footnote. This is like a prophecy of social media. Look at it. It says, all the uh, people of Athens and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. That's a prophet right there. Prophecy of social media. There it is. They spent all day, every day. They love to hear the new ideas. They love to hear each other's opinions. This is nothing new. They had this curiosity. They valued the quest for new things and new ideas. And they, in that culture, they didn't view these things as a waste of time. They would have been discussing uh, George, the George Floyd killing. They, they would have been talking about uh, this past week, how many of your hearts went out for that, the submarine in Indonesia? You know, that now you hear 53 crew members died. You know, it most likely crashed. They might, they might have went too low into the ocean. I mean, it's, it blows my mind that we know more about space and galaxies than we do our own ocean. They would have been discussing the more than 130 mass shootings in the U.S. in 2021 as of April 9th. They would have been discussing everything that we're discussing. And look at Paul's response to this. You have to see this. It's brilliant. If you're wondering how to find the true God, if you are searching, look at verse 22 and following. Then Paul stood up in the meeting and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very, very, very religious. For as I walked around, verse 23, and looked carefully at your objects of worship. I walked around. Look at their verbs. I looked carefully. I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. And this unknown God is what I'm going to proclaim to you. Look at verse 24. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. Paul's like, just look at creation. God's not hidden. God's not distant. God's not unknown. 
And he does not live in temples built by human hands. God is the creator. Look at verse 25. Furthermore, God is the sustainer of life. He is not served by human hands as if he needs anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. For one man, verse 26, he made all the nations. God is the creator. God is the sustainer of life. God is the ruler of every nation. That they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and boundaries of their lands. Look at verse 27. Paul says, God did this. Gave us life and breath. Like we're alive. And the ability to walk around and look around so that we would find him. So that we would seek him and perhaps maybe just reach out to him and find him. And look at it. Because he's not far from any one of us. He's not far. God is knowable. God desires fellowship. He's right here. And the Apostle Paul brilliantly quotes two of their poets. Look at verse 28. For in him, your own poets have said this. For in him we live and move and have our being. We are his offspring. Therefore, look at verse 29. Since we are God's offspring, since God is not only the creator, since God is not only the sustainer of life, since God is not only the ruler of the nations, since God is knowable and God desires fellowship. Therefore, since we are his offspring, God is the father of all of humanity. We should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, verse 30, God overlooked such ignorance. But now, look at it, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent to change your mind to change your thinking look at it verse 31 he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed he has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead god is both the judge and the rescuer and god desires that all of us repent now look at the reactions Look at the results in verse 32. And with this I close. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered. But others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. At that, verse 33, Paul left the council. Some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. And among them, three are mentioned by name and a number of others. In this portion, we see how God used the Apostle Paul here. And there are four things involved here. Number one, they all heard the message. Number two, some of them mocked. Number three, some of them delayed. But number four, some of them believed. On Mars Hill that day, some people laughed at their resurrection. Let us not be so foolish to make that same mistake. Some of them delayed saying, we will hear you again on this mass matter. Listen, we must realize that one of Satan's greatest tools is delay. There is no urgency in delay. 
our response to God calling us to repent and to be broken and the message of Christ. It cannot be to, you, you know, I think about Satan and he'll agree that you need to repent. He'll agree that there is a judgment, yet he'll always say you can do something about it tomorrow. Like it's not a big deal to really be right with God, either for salvation or fellowship. Do you know what too many tomorrows produces? Too many tomorrows can turn into eternity. We must also consider that to delay is to say no. One may say not laugh or jeer, but their rejection of the gospel is no less evident by their delay. As you hear the good news of Jesus today, don't wait, come to repentance now. However, the final reaction is very intriguing to me. In all of this seeming defeat, there were few people who believed. They're actually mentioned later in Acts chapter 20. And so how fitting, just like the Apostle Paul, gives that same call. It's kind of twofold, right? Twofold. If you have never, like real deal, for real, went before a holy God, holy God. heart is filled with idols. Say, God, I need Jesus Christ so bad. I need you so bad in my life. If you have never done that, believe. Don't delay. Don't reject. Don't laugh. For the believer, it's time to get serious. To go before that same holy God. Say, God, I want to live nothing more than in fellowship and in the grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ every single day of my life. I want to take sin seriously, and I want to live for you, and I want to be on mission. And so, church, I just call you as we've been talking about prayer to just do that on a regular basis. In house church the other day, I have a verse I'm going to close with. We were going through um, the book of Jonah. Thank you, Wayne Williams. If you're not part of a house church, you are missing out, especially our house church, right? House Church is a weekly Bible study, prayer time, fellowship. Pastor Eric's going to be, Pastor Eric, stand up for a second. I know everyone knows you. But Pastor Eric is going to be starting a brand new study on Wednesday evening. Yeah. I look at the book of Jonah, the true cost of idolatry. Here it is. Those who pay regard to vain idols, forsake their hope of steadfast love. See, when we worship idols, our minds and our hearts are the prices we pay. There's two solutions. Fix our eyes on Jesus, the good news of Christ, and tear down, tear down every single idol in our life. And that's my prayer for us. God, thank you so much for your word. God, thank you that when the Apostle Paul entered into Athens, that he engaged from a heart of compassion. God, that he had a prayer life and that he was a wise, loving, discerning, respectful challenger. I pray, Lord, God, that you would put someone on our hearts this week to share the good news of Jesus with us.
and we ask this in